Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. At Traditional Medicinals, we look to Mother Nature for all her healing gifts. We believe that plants can do some pretty amazing things. That's why we use medicinal-grade herbs like echinacea, eucalyptus, and ginger in our teas to help soothe and support your body naturally. Every which way we turn, Mother Nature is there to remind us that she's got our back. Visit traditionalmedicinals.com and use code WELL20 to see what makes our teas so incredible. Welcome to It's Not a Crisis. I am your host, Doran Wallach. I'm an entrepreneur, a mother of two, a wife, and a 40-something, trying to figure out what is happening in this decade. Why is no one talking about it? I created this podcast to help women in their late 30s and 40s to figure out what is going on in our mind, body, soul, and life. We may laugh, we may cry, we may get frustrated, but most importantly, My goal is to make this next chapter of life positive. I'm also full of my own questions, and I'm here to go on this journey with you. So let's do it together. Hey, everyone. I think I forgot to wish you a happy new year in my last episode. So happy new year. I don't know. What what is this year going to hold? It's got to be better than last year. I just... It has to be, right? I mean, it can only go up from here, we hope. Anyway, I have a really interesting podcast today. I have always been fascinated with generations, and it kind of started with a couple of books that I read, one of which I have on one of my other podcasts uh, with Lindsay Gibson. But I've recently found that in having a child who is two children of one generation, And having parents of another generation and now being Gen X and doing this podcast, I feel like uh, it's really fascinating to me to start to understand everybody and not be so close-minded. I think it's important that we all understand different generations because a lot of times it helps you in work, it helps you in relationships, it helps you in all aspects of your life, and it's really important. So today, I am bringing you a guest who is a generational expert. I bet you didn't even know that existed. Megan is known as a generational humorist and challenges her audience to think differently and act decisively when dealing with multiple generations. Educating through entertainment since 1998, Megan has worked with a variety of organizations and associations to build multi-generational effective relationships. Megan's strategy for success is not thinking about how people are different, but thinking about how people are the same. She helps her audience find common ground and build on generational strengths. Megan and her baby boomer father, Larry Johnson, are the authors of Generations, Inc., From Boomers to Linksters, Managing the Friction Between Generations at Work. And Megan is so funny. She does... um. The kind of these stand-up acts when she speaks in public. I'm very excited. You will definitely laugh and you're going to learn a lot. Megan Johnson, welcome to the show. Thank you, Doran. I am so glad to be here. This is exciting. Yeah, and this is uh, there's so much I want to unwrap with you. First, I think the biggest question for the audience is what exactly is a generational expert and humorist and what made you get into this? Before you say that, you're Gen X too, right? Yes, I am Gen X and the 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 big question I get from many of my audiences, you know, which generation is the best? And I said, well, you know, we're all equal, but if we had to be honest, Gen Xers are just, you know, we're just a little bit better. You know, right. we're, the be- we're the best generation. So. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, got interested in the generational topic and the generational, uh, the generational divide back in the early 90s after I graduated from Arizona State University. I got my first uh, corporate job and I was really excited. 
and it was um, with a big, well-known company. You might, you know, see their oatmeal when you walk down the grocery store aisle. But uh, I was, it was thrilled. I mean, because we were in the middle of a recession in the early '90s, and many of my friends couldn't find a job, and I found a job, and I wanted to do well. I wanted to be successful. I wanted my parents to be proud that they had sent me to college and that I had a job, and I was going to move out of their house. And it was hard. It was harder than I expected. In the the skills that seemed to serve me when in the part-time jobs I had worked through college, that skill set didn't seem to serve me as well. My bosses, who were two baby boomers, an older baby boomer, a little bit of a younger baby boomer, but they were still a different generation than myself, they seemed to have a completely different attitude about why I chose to work for the company, what I hoped to get out of the job, and what motivated me. And we just seem to have this disconnect. Now, on the flip side, as an older person, you know, older than I was then, I can look back and see, you know, it was not entirely their fault. I didn't understand a lot of office politics. I didn't really understand how important appearances played in in the corporate world. So it was a disconnect on both sides. And that's how I became interested in talking about the different generations. Because at the same time, the media was complaining about Generation X and how difficult Generation X was to work with. And I thought, well, you know, I'm Generation X. I don't think I don't think we're that bad. And so that's when I began researching and writing and talking about the multiple generations and how every generation comes to either work or the marketplace or even, you know, the dinner table with a different set of expectations from the people around them. I love that. And I'm so happy that you're doing this because I think each generation almost thinks very black and white about their own generation. And and I am fascinated about this. And I found you because as a mother, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand my kids' generation, you know, as an entrepreneur and having people work for me, having had a lot of millennials working for me, I, I had a lot of issues in the past that, that I did couldn't quite understand the disconnect. And as well as, you know, understanding now as my parents are getting older and trying to do my own personal therapy and work to try to understand where they were coming from. And and I think it's so important for everybody to really understand these generations, because I think that you know, we have to adapt and we have to understand as stubborn as as Generation Xers are, as we think, (laughs) we do think we're the best and Uh we feel like, uh, but everyone else hates us. (laughs) I always say, I I always uh, say to audiences, I said, if this were the Brady Bunch, Generation X, we are Jan. We are the middle child. We are the, we are squeezed in between the two mammoth generations, baby boomers and the millennials. The millennials are like Cindy and the baby boomers are, you know, everyone's favorite sister, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. (laughs) That's so funny. I've actually heard something similar to that before. (laughs) Uh, It's funny. One of the, one of the most popular um, memes that I had posted on my God, 800 likes, I posted generation and and they, and I feel terrible because I don't even know what the source was. Uh, It could be you. Um, (laughs) Generation X women who as children lacked cell phones and helicopter parents came up relying on our own wits to keep ourselves safe. We took control. The The comments on this were pretty amazing. And I think, I think a lot of my audience, you know, said both positive and negative things about, you know, being like, you know, I had heard you talk about being a latchkey kid and a lot of women saying that we literally can survive anything. We're so resilient yet, you know, still recovering from therapy. Um, I'm, I'm trying to look through some of the, the comments. This is why I'm so equipped at being single and managing COVID successfully. I learned to fend for myself, provide my own entertainment, handle my own emotions. Anyway, I, I so I, I had a few people actually reach out to me after this and say, can you can you post more memes like that? And I'm like, well, it's not that easy to find. Maybe you can help me with that. Maybe you can create some funny yeah. ones since you're funny. But the, the conversation was amazing. So I think that I have heard myself, and I'm sure we all have, I've heard myself go, ugh, these millennials are... <laughs> You know, oh, my kids and they don't get anything and they're so spoiled and blah, 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 blah. But I think before any of understanding any of that, I think it's important for us to understand the boomers who 
who raised us. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd love I'd love for you to start first with with that generation and and just a little bit more about it. My framework is that each generation is defined by generational signposts and generational signposts are events that are specific to one generation. And what generational signposts do, because when you start talking about generations, a lot of times people say, well, you know, you're stereotyping. And obviously I never intend to stereotype people, but what generational signposts do, they explain how events, technology, and the economy shape various groups of people. Clusters of people born during a certain time frame have experienced similar situations and can be differentiated from other generations. Here are the baby boomers. Here come the baby boomers. And their parents, the baby boomers' parents, are the traditional generation. Those are people born before 1945. Uh, I always say that, that for me, that's my grandma. And they grew up with the attitude of children should be seen and not heard. Then this generation, the traditional generation, they come home from World War II, they begin to have children, and Dr. Spock releases this completely generation-changing book about raising your children, completely changing the attitude that especially people in, the, in America had about raising their kids, that, that kids should be heard, that we should, you know, talk to their, you know, talk to our kids. We should include them in decisions. I, I have to interrupt you because I, I, I got a text from my mother today and <laughs> talk because I was telling her what, what, what I was um, doing. And she said, oh, if I could find it, she said in 1960, when boomers suddenly revolted over anything the older generation professed, war, hate, punishment, racism, ways to dress, overly conservative, blah, blah, blah. The sexual and social revolution started in sexual freedom. The older generation blamed it all on Dr. Spock and his books about freedom rearing and children. They, pro- they proclaimed it Spock's fault. <laughs> yes, they did. They did. They also, they also, uh, uh, when you saw the baby boomers protest the Vietnam War and try to avoid going to war, you had a lot of people blaming Dr. Spock for that. <laughs> what was his, what was his primary focus? His primary focus was what he wrote, you know, baby and childhood, that raising your children with uh, more of an empathetic approach, a little bit different than that approach of that my grandmother, the environment my grandmother was raised in, which I, I think it's interesting because that really has progressed throughout. As you look at the way children have, have been raised, it's sort of, it's, it's progressed more and more that, you know, we, we see our children as people and that they have opinions and that, that we want to involve them in decisions. And they're, you know, part of the family unit, even though the, the shape or look of a family unit has changed over the years, that idea of that we involve our children in, in our daily lives is, is still there. Um, so yeah, that was, but yeah, that was Dr. Spock just kind of really turned the, the idea that, you know, children should be seen and not heard on, you know, he kind of turned that on its ear. Is that, is that a phrase turning something on its ear? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. My mother also wanted me to know that Dr. Spock smoked a bit of dope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so funny. I thought she was going to tell me like Dr. Smock's like smoked a pack a day. That's so funny. If, I don't know about Dr. Doctor Sp- Spock's smoking, uh, you know, smoking or drug habits. I don't know. About those. <laughs> Apparently she does. Apparently she does. That's <laughs> uh, something I'm going to have to probably add to my program. Thank you. Well, let me, Thank let you. Me, yeah, let me ask you something because I think that's so interesting. So they were fighting against this notion, and yet our parents at least for me, our parents were pretty hands-off compared to our crazy generation, who, who I think goes over the top, and gave us more freedom. I mean, obviously, a sign of the times and safety and everything else. But I wouldn't say I was a latchkey kid, but I, well, I, I came home alone a lot of days after school, and I pretty much watched TV from... I don't know, 3.30 until 6 o'clock when my mom got home and I had a, a snack for every hour and I would go through the TV guide and pick which show I was going to watch. I mean, that's what I did after school. Oh, um, yeah. And I was happy, by the way. I was happy. I, I, I didn't have to, I didn't have to talk about my day. I didn't have to, you know, I, yeah. just, <laughs> I was a latchkey kid and I loved it. I tell, I tell audience, audiences, here's the unvarnished truth about being a latchkey kid. It was awesome. 
It yeah. was awesome. I mean, who thought who thought this up? I want to meet them. I want to shake their hand. I want to thank them for giving me the best childhood ever. Yeah, it was great. You came home. This was even before beepers. There was no electronic tether. So, you know, three o'clock, school was over. They opened the doors and you were, you know, you, you sauntered on home when you felt like it. You let yourself in the front door. You know, there might be a, a list of things you had to get done that, you know, your mom or dad had left on the counter. But yeah, you you planned your snacks. I knew which show came on when. And you like from 3.30 to about 6 o'clock, you watched TV. It was terrific. I, for many years, went to this family camp in Vermont called the Tyler Place. Best vacation ever. Because basically what happens is your kids go to camp during the day and you kind of get to go to camp as an adult. But they're in group from 8 till 1. You pick them up at 1.00. You don't have any meals with them. You have to go for a week straight. You have no, they eat with their friends in their group. And after you drop them off at nighttime, you go to the happy hour, you have dinner with adults, and then you pick them up and put them to bed or get a babysitter, whatever. And then they have adult activities. And it's a wonderful trip because you get a few hours in the afternoon with your family, but you as parents of little kids, you really get a vacation. And, and it's, you know, it's not, all about the kids. And when I had asked the Tyler family who still runs it, I said, how did this concept come up? And they said, well, we we owned this property and we used to rent out the cabins and our grandparents, it was martini time at like, you know, four o'clock and they needed the kids to be occupied. So they didn't want the kids anywhere or anywhere around them. This was not about them. This was about their vacation and their time. And it's just so interesting. So and just going back to um, just starting, I I only want to touch a little bit on the generation before the boomers, which I don't even know what that was called. The traditional generation. Talking about the parents, the parents of the baby boomers. I, I call them the traditional generation. Sometimes you hear silent generation, World War II generation. Tom Brokaw uh, coined the name the greatest generation, which I absolutely love that name. That's the generation of, of my, of, of well, I say my grandparents, but yep, the people that were, they were born before 1945. And, and what were their beliefs? Because according to my mother, she even, I, another text she just sent me is that she had um, <laughs> surgery as a little girl, a kidney surgery and um, horrible thick needles all the time. She was nine years old and she can remember the nurses and doctors telling her to stop crying and stop being a baby and to not, you know, that, that, that it isn't okay. And, know. you know, that is very typical of, of her parents, gen- of that wonderful generation. So I, I'd like to know a little bit about that. Well, I, you know, that generation, I mean, you know, they, they experienced the Great Depression, even if they were a small child during the Great Depression, you know, their generational signposts are, are accumulating during that time, World War II. Um, And you're right, there was a certain kind of exterior toughness. We came out of World War II um, and the United States experienced a a level of prosperity. And the idea the traditional generation had was that you uh, worked hard and you, you, you provided for your family. And I, I always uh, say, if you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the traditional generation satisfied that bottom of the pyramid for every generation that followed, you know, food, shelter, clothing. And, you know, with the help of the, uh, the GI Bill, the traditional generation could buy a home. This was the first generation in large numbers to be able to afford a home. So, but the idea was that, you know, I'm going to work very hard and make sacrifices so my family will be safe, my family will be secure or, you know, fed and watered. Prior to the baby boom generation, education was uh, unusual. My grandfather from the traditional generation, he did go to college, but the generational difference being is he went to college following World War II with the help of the GI Bill. You know, college was nothing. He said, we never talked about college growing up. Uh, It was out of the question. But for baby boomers, education became an expectation. And, you know, baby boomers were expected to go to school, complete high school. Something like 50% of our public education buildings today were built in the 50s just to accommodate all these baby boomers. We had this, I mean, we talk about, you know, large classroom sizes now, but I mean, baby boomers had 30, 40, 50 kids to a class. I actually had an audience member tell me uh, earlier in the year that he had 70, that's seven zero seventy 70 kids in his first grade class with one teacher. Wow. My mother had 1,200 in her graduating senior class. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> so um, when you say that your mother said that, uh, that her mother told, or the nurses said that you need to toughen up. Yeah. It was a kind of a, a much different attitude. My mother talks about um, crying and that her grandmother uh, at the time stuffed a, a dishcloth to make her stop crying. <laughs> but what, what exactly is that about? It was just that they had hardships and they had a tough, you know, go through them and they felt that you know, their kids should be tough too, or? I think it's a different version when we, we hear employers say, when I, you know, when I started my job, I would have never asked for when I was going to get a corner office or when I start, when I was that age, I would have never asked, you know, how much vacation time do I get? You know, my, so it's just a different reflection of, of what often we say about the younger generation, because we expect the younger generation to behave the same way we behaved when we were at that age. And that's just impossible because generational signposts change and generations change. So you had a, the traditional generation who, yeah, there was a, a certain level of a certain events, like I described the Great Depression, World War II, kind of that, that bottom of the pyramid wasn't being satisfied. And so they worked to satisfy that bottom of the pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, and, and it, it's sort of like, well, gosh, I had to work so hard to get to this point, but the, a new generation doesn't appreciate that. Often, sometimes baby boomer women will say, will say to me, you know, these young women who are entering the workforce now, they have no idea what it was like working professionally in the, you know, the late 60s and the early 70s. It was completely, it was completely different. As the younger generation enters, be it the workplace or the dinner table, they're coming to the place with a completely different set of generational signposts and, and expectations. And it wasn't, you know, I think my mom, um, her boomer generation, my mom is 73. I've often heard her say, you know, she was a stay-at-home mom and she said, you know, y women worked, but like if they did, they were, you know, they were nurses, they were teachers, they, you know, they had jobs where they could still kind of be there for the kids. You know, there were obviously women that worked, but she said it wasn't really like expected of us. It wasn't something that we felt we needed to do. Whereas our generation it was told that we can do everything and uh -huh. we all have anxiety and depression because we feel like <laughs> we're failing all the time. <laughs> she, I mean, she's empathized with that. She's like, I feel badly for you guys because we didn't actually, we didn't have that same pressure. And that could just be her social demographic and where she grew up. You know, I'm sure that varies across different economic backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does vary. And it also, I mean, there were there were careers that were considered careers for women. And you mentioned it, nurse or teacher. That was, you know, the big one. I point out to audiences, you know, in the 50s, if you looked at a classified ad and I, I bring it up on the screen, I said there they would actually have jobs for women and jobs for men. It was there were different categories and you could list the same job in both column with two different salaries. That was perfectly legal. You're right. It was a completely different attitude about women working for the baby boom generation. But then, you know, you, you come into the late 60s and the early 70s and baby boomers really started to question society norms and really push against the boundaries. And, you know, we so we began to see the desegregation of schools. We began to, the job market began to open up for women. And so you, 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 had, a, you had a more generational shift right there. Feminism mm -hmm. as well. It's, yes. Yeah. The whole, the whole idea of equality, you know, you can't, yeah. you can't list the same job with two different salaries. So, okay. So now we're, so, so we've covered a little bit of, um, those two generations and now our parents are raising us. The generation Gen X. Gen yeah. X. I've been told I fall in the middle. I'm a Xennial, I guess. I don't know. I, I'm 77, but I, have always considered myself X. After 1980, the millennial generation begins. But when you start talking about generations, there are, going to, of course, going to be some generalizations and not every generational signpost, you know, that we talk about applies to every single person in the generation because, you know, you're born at a different time during those years. As you get closer to the demarcation line, you're what I call a cusper. You're on the cusp of two generations. Right. So what were the expectations of our generation from our parents? You touched upon it. The expectations is that uh, we were latchkey kids, or even if you weren't a latchkey child, it was okay that it, according to society, it was okay that you came home and you let yourself in, or, you know, you made your own snacks, you planned your own time. Even if your mom or your dad was a stay-at-home parent, they might come and go a little bit more than you would see a 
a stay-at-home parent today do. That idea that, you know, you were on your own, that that was okay. I know that when, when I was a kid, I took the city bus. I live in Phoenix, Arizona. So it's not like I live in a tiny town. I live in Phoenix, Arizona. And I took the city bus everywhere because both of my parents worked. And so the expectation for my parents was like, you know, if you want to go anywhere after school, you know, you want to go to the mall or you want to go to your friend's house, you're going to have to figure out a way to get there because, you know, mom and dad are at work till six o'clock. And it was okay that, you know, that I was 10 years old and I was taking a city bus somewhere. That was not a weird thing, but I know I mentioned that to, uh, a friend of mine, she's a millennial parent. Her little boy is three. I mentioned that she, her, her, her jaw just dropped. She's <laughs> sure. like, what? <laughs> because she didn't have that experience growing up. Her, her parents who were also baby boomers because, you know, baby boomers had two waves of kids. They had a wave of Gen X kids. Then they jumped on the bandwagon again and had a wave of millennial kids. She didn't have that experience. And the whole idea of letting her child go off and do things, you know, on, on his own at nine or 10 years old, that that was just foreign to her. So for Gen Xers, there was this expectation that we manage our own time and that we, if there was a problem, we kind of got to, you know, figure, we got to figure it out. I always say that when we, Gen Xers, we came home, mom and dad had left a, a list of tasks. We had to figure out how to get it done. And if something went wrong, we had to fix that problem so we could get the task done and move on. Right. And the reason that they allowed us to sort of have that that freedom, is that based on anything specifically or just like we're working, times are safer, uh, you know? Many families had both parents working outside the home. So it became acceptable. We, you know, we called it latchkey kids. It was an acceptable way to behave. It wasn't frowned upon. So as I said, even if your mom was a stay-at-home mom or your dad was a stay-at-home dad, the fact you were on your own for a certain amount of time, that was okay. It, it wasn't anything that anybody got real freaked out about. And I know we talk a lot about safety and obviously safety of, of our children is, is paramount. But it's interesting if you take out the whole school shootings, if you take that out of the equation, violent acts against children, that, that, hasn't, that hasn't increased. I mean, it's, we just are more aware of it as a society because it's, we have more access to information. So, I mean, one violent act against a child is too much, but that percentage hasn't changed over the decades through the generations, but our perception has changed because we have so much more information. We hear, we hear about these things that happen to children, which are, it's horrific, but we hear about it. It's all over the news. We have access to that more, more information than we did when back in the seventies, when I was a little kid. We used to just have the milk box, the milk cart. <laughs> yes, yes, missing yes. I, was, I did a, um, I did a post about that recently, just saying I remember eating my cereal, and just staring at the back of the milk carton, just thinking about who was this kid? How did they go missing? It was kind of a scary thing to sit there as a kid and stare at. And yes, <laughs> yes, and that, it's so interesting you brought that up because I don't maybe sometime over the summer there I was watching a show about that first child that was put on the milk box and that whole case behind the kid on the on the, the very first milk box picture. Yeah, where did it come from for Generation Xers that especially women that we had these expectations put on us to kind of be and do everything because. Uh, from what I've experienced as a Gen Xer, I I feel that, and I think the worst enemy is is women at each other. I I just feel that we can do no right, no matter we if we're working, if we're staying at home, if we're doing a little bit of both, if we're overparenting, underparenting, if we're giving our kids freedom, and and I think that it's caused a lot of lot of anxiety and this constant feeling of failure. So, so, so where did, where do we even get that from? How did that begin? That is it. That's a very interesting question. Um, because I agree. I, I always say we, we are always our own worst critic. I mean, we are, we're, we're more, we're more critical of ourselves than anybody. When Gen Xers started to enter the professional world, the baby boomers before us really had done a lot of heavy lifting for, for women as I mentioned, fighting for equality in the workforce. I hate to use a, a, a phrase we hear often, but the glass ceiling, you know, trying to break that glass ceiling, that really began in, in earnest with the baby boom generation before us. So many of us had mothers or female figures in our lives that, you know, said, hey, you know, we, we did a lot of this heavy lifting. 
And so it's important that you get out there and, and make something of yourself. Yeah, it's such an interesting question. And then, you know, we have children and then a girlfriend of mine who's, she went back to work after her, um, her child was born. And she, she said, you know, do you think, do you think he's going to be mad at me because I went back to work? <laughs> you know, and, and I said, no, I said, you have to, you have to remember that by going back to work, you were providing him with, with things that he wouldn't have if you didn't, if you didn't go to work. I mean, there's a, there's a give and take on either side. And, uh, you know, and I think what I, what I think is really interesting is that uh, I know I've, I've interviewed some Gen X women that, that feel guilty because they don't want to be a stay at home mom. Yeah, they just want to work. They don't, maybe they, I was just about to say that. I actually have a podcast coming out this weekend about how to get back into the workforce um, after staying home with kids. But there are moms, me included. I did stay at home with my kids and I'm so happy I had that time with them. But I'm a lot happier working and using my brain every day. But financially, do I have to work? No, but I choose to. So there's that guilt. You know, I'm sure there are other women in that position too, or, you know. Yeah, I agree with you uh, that, yeah, and I, I don't really have an answer to that, I, but it's, it, I'm, in, I'm intrigued to hear your, the next podcast um, that you mentioned. Yeah. I don't know why, I'm, what, for, for many women, it's either or, like I have to do, I have to be a stay-at-home parent and feel guilty about not working or vice versa. I think sometimes we can be, I always say guilt is a wasted, a wasted feeling. It's like, you I, know love, I love that <laughs> saying, but I wish I could learn how to implement that saying. <laughs> I, I, I get, as I, I will say, as you get older, it gets better. You know, as, yeah. as I go into my forties, I, I, I feel a little bit more independence from guilt and I care yeah. a little bit less about things that I used to feel guilty about. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to aging and for that matter and, <laughs> and, and feeling less guilty yes. about things. Oh no, I was going to say right along with worrying. Someone said to me once, it was, it was one of those statements that I still use. It, it's a, they said, worrying is using your imagination to think about the worst case scenario. So it's like you, when you, when you worry, and I kind of feel the same way about guilt. It's like, we're using our, our thought processes, our imaginations to, to, to visualize the worst thing that could happen. Exactly. Well, let's talk about millennials. So I, I no longer have, um, anybody working for me full time, but I did a few years ago. And at the time she was in her early twenties and I all of a sudden found myself saying, and she was wonderful. She really was, but the, you know, we, there, there were disagreements and differences in our ages. And, but I had fine. That's when I started hearing myself say, Oh my God, these millennials, like da, 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 da. And that's like, all of a sudden you're this, like, you're this old person. However, um, there were a lot of things she taught me that I found really interesting also. And I think that I think it's important for us to, instead of blame the generation as being lazy, and by the way, people said that about us too, um, or that they they just want, you know, instant success. I, I think we have to understand why, you know, they are the way they are. I went to a summit and they had a bunch of millennial entrepreneurs get up and speak and say, you know, we want to talk to you about our generation because we're sick of hearing that we're lazy and we're this and that. And we're quite the opposite. We actually we're developing things. We're trying things. We're, you know, not sitting around doing nothing. We're not, we're not expecting things to just fall on our lap. And, and it was, it was a, actually a very, valid point. But still, I still hear my friends, I hear my colleagues and they, it's like those damn millennials. They just, you know, um, so why, I love people like that. Yeah. <laughs> why are they given that label from us? Well, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said, they said the same thing about us. So yeah. And I make that point to uh, audiences is that the same thing that baby boomers said about Gen Xers back in the early nineties. Now Gen Xers and baby boomers are saying the same things about millennials. And really what we're describing is a youthful generation. And when I say youthful, I mean, they just have a, they're younger. So they have a different set of experiences than you do. And I call those experiences generational signposts, which we, we talked about, but yeah, so they just have a different set of experiences, but you, you brought up this whole thing about being lazy. Cause I hear that a lot, you know, they're, they're lazy. Oh, many millennials, like 
came into adulthood in the middle of the Great Recession and worked their asses off. And I think that's so interesting. I'm like, so we're calling this generation lazy when they were graduating college or graduating, getting their master's or PhDs, and they entered a job market in, you know, 2008, 2009, when everything was just, you know, crashing. And so they like jumped right in both feet and, you know, figured out a way to make it work. So they are not a lazy generation, but they do work differently. And I think that's where you see some of the older people say, well, they're lazy because they want, and this was pre COVID, they want to work from home. Everybody knows that what that means. That means you're not really working, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or they want to work at a, uh, at a Starbucks or fill in the blank, whatever your favorite espresso become place is. an influencer. Yes. And that, and that, you know, they just, they just want to, you know, be online all day. Well, no, they don't want to be online all day. They're online all day because that's where the information is. We don't go to the encyclopedia anymore. We don't, you know, we don't go to the library and look up things. We're online because that's where the information is so that we can gather that information and do our jobs. And millennials were just you know, millennials have been doing that since they were in college, since they were in school. It's a different way of working. And so that's where you you, call, you see the older generation calling them lazy when they're not lazy at all. Mm, that's interesting. And that's, that's a good thing to note because um, I, I do think I hear it a lot. And I, and I've learned over the years to try not, you know, not be so black and white about my opinions. And this is exactly why I want you here, because I think it's important for us to understand why everybody is the way that they are. So m most of our generation now, our children are Gen Z. Yes. So Gen Z are born between 1997 and 2012. Are, are your kids Gen Z? Yes, they are oh, 2007 God. and 2010. Okay. <laughs> All right, so don't 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 make me do math. How how old are they? No, uh, ten and thirteen. Ten and thirteen. Oh my gosh! And, and are they both? You have a boy and a girl, right? I have a ten-year-old boy and a thirteen-year-old girl. <laughs> Thirteen is the beginning when I became the nastiest person on the earth to my mother. I know everybody keeps. I mean, I talked about this yesterday at a podcast. I know, I know. You know, she's not that bad. She really isn't. But I, but there are days where I, I, I go in my head and I go, remember thirteen, remember thirteen, remember thirteen. You just have to try to remember what it was like to be that age and say, okay, I'm gonna bite my tongue. Oh um, my gosh! So no. far, so far, she's she's been okay. Tell me what you know. I know it's, they're not that old yet, but what do you see of Generation a a Z? So Gen Z, so it's interesting. Gen Z is, comes on board. And I think a lot of times people, if someone's young, they call them a millennial. Like, oh, that millennial. And he's like, well, how old is the person? 21. Well, they're not a millennial, you know? They're, so you got Gen Z. So here comes Gen Z. Uh, the, right now, there's about 74 million of them. They're 25% of the US population. What I think is interesting is they watch about 68 videos a day. <laughs> oh my God. Four yeah, more. <laughs> yes. So when we say that the Gen Z is truly a, a true digital generation, and the difference between them and millennials is that, you know, you can have a millennial who could remember that, you know, when they grew up, their house had a landline. Maybe when they grew up, they actually uh, had to have dial up. Remember dial up mm -hmm, to get on the internet? Yeah. You know, they might even remember dial up. In school, they might have held textbooks. Um, but now you have Gen Z. So you could have a Gen Z person truly live in a home that never had a landline, live in a home where their parents do all their banking online, so never write a check. And also when they go to school, they're doing their work on tablets. And especially, especially now with COVID, it's this, now they're, they're online. They're, on, they're doing their education completely online right now with COVID. Um, so they really are the first group of, of children who are growing up totally digital. And the interesting, interesting thing is that the internet has become the expert. So whereas in the past, even with millennials, there was, you know, the idea that, you know, hey, maybe the parent or the teacher was the expert. But now with this Gen Z, they've sensed that the internet and all that information has been there since moment one, the internet is the expert. Oh, and I know nothing. <laughs> I'm, it's all online and the, inter the internet knows and I know nothing. Yes. And really what parents are becoming, not just a parent figure, but also kind of, they have to be that guide. I, you, I'm sure struggle with, or I would struggle with it. You 
but I'm sure you deal with this, is that you have to become the guide to kind of help them understand the internet. Like when you say they're, you know, not everything, just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. Or just because you saw a video about it doesn't make it's true. So you kind of have to be that guide to help, to help them filter out the information or understand the information. But really the internet has become the expert. And so it's, it's interesting because employers are struggling with it because they've got these younger people joining their organizations and just because you're my employer, just because you're man, my manager doesn't mean you're the expert. I, you know, I might know more about this than you do. Oh, that's <laughs> rough. That's rough. You know, I find it overwhelming parenting uh, a Generation Z kid because because of the Internet, because of how much they're exposed to, uh, because my word well, I know they're listening. I do know that they hear me. This is a very silly example, but my daughter watches this guy on um, YouTube who talks about skincare products. And she's obsessed with skincare products. And she will literally go through my cabinet and be like, "You, oh, his name's Hiram. Hiram Hiram doesn't like that. Like that, that's, He says that's really bad. You shouldn't be using it. I'm like, well, I've been using it since 1990 and everything's been fine. It's not fallen off. But, you know, that's it's like things like that. And I'll say, you know, I'll try to educate her and say, honey, just because one guy is popular online, I'm sure he is very knowledgeable, but his word isn't the only word. You know, that's not the only. So so parenting this generation is difficult because they are exposed to so much. And then, you know, pull in this pandemic, we've all loosened up on technology and, and allowing them to to be online as, as much as they want because of just having to deal. And I, I, do you have any, I, I'm not, a, I know you're not a psychic, but given your, your line of work, I'm wondering if you've ever had this conversation in any groups or I was a sociology minor, actually major. And I think about this constantly, how this pandemic it is going to shape our children. We talk about the depression. Well, this is our depression. What is going to come of our children from this time? I mean, I uh, do you have any thoughts? I'm not. I'm not taking your word as what it is, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's well. Yeah, I mean, it is just devastating. And I have. I have. To say, I've thought. I've thought to myself. I am so glad I am an adult when this is happening. I'm so glad that I'm not. 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, because on one hand, even though children, we talk about children being very resilient, but that's just, this is a pretty, what I call big piece of, of bummer pie. You know, mm -hmm. this is, this traumatic, is traumatic. Yeah. yeah. So I think what's going to be interesting is that you're going to have a generation that really identify with causes or organizations that help us through this process. So um, it, they'll identify with, with either influencers, companies, leaders that say, okay, here's how we can, you know, help get through COVID, or here's how you can help your neighbor, or here's a way that you can connect with others. What's interesting is in the in the corporate setting, the generation that's missing going to the office the most is Generation Z, is that the youngest generation on the spectrum, they're the ones missing that human connection the most. Because I think we think, oh gosh, they're so digital. You know, they don't care. They must love it. They don't, but that we are, we're all human beings. And even, even the most reclusive of us still desire human connection, some kind of human connection. And so I think this younger generation I think they'll be very pragmatic. They'll be very practical, but they also will definitely identify with, with organizations, leaders, people who are outspoken about this is the way we get through a tough situation. The two generational signposts that Generation Z identify, say they're the top generational signposts of their generation is the coronavirus and Black Lives Matter are the two that they say that these are the most significant generational signposts of our generation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I always tell my daughter, I said, I cannot wait. And this is like kind of in the beginning of the pandemic when I was losing my marbles. And um, <laughs> I said to her, I cannot wait until one day you're a mom and your kids are like, I'm bored of staying at home. What do I do? And you're like, do you know what I did when I was your age? Do you know how many days I had to stay in the house and <laughs> entertain yes. myself? And I didn't get to see my friends and don't complain. I mean, so it's so interesting. I can't, I can't wait. I hope I'm around yeah. to 
to see her and my son talking to their kids about it. I do think even I, I see a change in my kids from the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, we're we're going to be, you know, going on a year in March and, and, and hopefully it gets better after a year. But this is a big year of of their lives. And I, I've noticed that as moms, we have learned and and as Gen Xers, by the way, we have learned to not be so, so controlling. We have learned to let go a little bit. We have learned that we can't tackle every situation on our own. And, and I think that that's been good for our kids because I think I've seen our kids gain a lot of independence. And, and part of it is like really just like, I can't do it anymore. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> like I am, yeah. my kids joke is when I say I'm done, they're like, this is mommy. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> you get done and you just don't want to do anything. You know, just, you're like, I don't yeah. care what you do. If you want to like put your feet outside the window, dangling upside down on your iPad, that's cool. I know, that's right. yeah, it's, it's, it's funny you said that because I, my husband and I had the same similar conversation over the summer. We were out walking and, uh, and one of the little kids in the neighborhood, who's, he's just a little typhoon of, of energy. He's, but he's younger than 10. He comes sailing by me on one of those little like scooter boards. You know, mm-hmm. It's got the handles and he's comes sailing by me. He's in his pajamas. He doesn't have shoes on. You know, <laughs> and, I, and his parents are nowhere to be found. And I said, that's just something something you would not have seen a year ago. No, it's so true. It's so true. It, it, it really is. And so it, it, that's actually interesting because I think that I don't think we're going to go back to our ways. I think that we've all learned a lot from this. So I I, I think we, and, and honestly, I think we kind of needed this shift. Um, mm-hmm. Our us as parents because yeah. we're crazy and the yeah. helicoptering and the the control and I, I I think we needed this wake up call. Sometimes I say it was a blessing in disguise. It'll just be so interesting to see how that goes forward and how our kids parent because of this. And um, I don't know. I, I find it all fascinating. It is, and you talk about it. You know, it's coming in March. It'll be a year. A year to you or to me is is one thing, but when you're when you're you know ten or thirteen a year is a huge part of your life, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think the magnitude of this will have a, will, will be much bigger in the mind of someone who is, who is 13, 14 years old, just because God, a year, that's a long time when you're 13 years old versus when you're in your forties or like me, when you're 50, a year is like, eh, it's nothing. Right. Right. <laughs> and, it, and also there will be after effects for a very long time. It's not just like, it's not like the vaccine's going to come out and the whole world's going to be back to normal. There's going to be a lot of, there'll be a lot of positive that comes out of this. There's going to be a lot of negative and it's just also interesting. Is there anything that you feel um, that you wanted to cover that I didn't bring up? Um, well, you're just, you, you brought up everything. I know. Um, <laughs> I'm telling you, I just find this so interesting. <laughs> I think, I think we all have to remember, and you, you touched upon it when just, you know, do we feel so guilty of, if we don't do X or Y or Z, I just think you have to remember that, um, at any moment, uh, no matter what generation you belong to, we all do what we feel is best for our children. And we all do what at the time at the moment that we chose that course of action, it, we, we made the best decision we felt with the information that we had at our, at our fingertips and that we have to kind of ease up on ourselves, as you were saying, not feel so guilty because we're not, we're not doing every single thing all the time that we're doing. We're doing the best we can with the information we have at hand and we're making the best decisions that we feel that are at the best decisions in that moment. And that's the best, that's the best we can do. Mm-hmm. And and I would also say to everyone listening, spend some time reading about your parents' generation, spend some time reading about your own generation, and spend some time reading about your kids' generation, because I think, or millennials also, who you're working with, I think it's really important to understand it from a psychological point of view and to be more open-minded. And, and, and I'm guilty of that myself. And uh, I feel that, you know, it's, it, it's important. It's important to educate yourself. I heard a speaker talking about unconscious bias. It's sort of just have being aware of, of how uncomfortable you might feel. And same thing when it comes to generations, it's like, okay, so I just kind of have to feel what I'm feeling for a moment. And why is it, why is it I'm either, why is it I'm upset by someone's behavior? Why is it that, you know, I'm, I'm uptight about the situation? Just sort of feel, kind of allow ourselves to feel what we're feeling at that moment and then think about our response. I had, um, I'm going to leave with this one last thing. When I had my uh, employee that worked for me, millennial, we worked in an 
office building where on the floor of our building was this huge group of guys who worked for this advertising firm and they were, they were all millennials. And anytime I would go and I was like the old, I mean, maybe look a little younger than my age, but I was like the old woman on the floor. And anytime I'd go to the elevator, they would just walk in in front of me and they never like hold the door or like, and, and then they'd walk out when they were leaving. And, um, I was once leaving with her and I said, I don't understand what happened to this, your generation's parents. Like, did they just not teach manners? Is it like, what happened in between? Because we know whether it's a man or a woman, we know to hold the door open. We don't just do it. And she said, honestly, we find it kind of sexist. Like, We don't need someone to open the door for us. We don't actually like it. We want to do it on our own. And, and we don't feel we just don't feel that that you know it it, it kind of demoralizes us as women and 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 then that's when I kind of said well I, I it's honestly I just see it as manners I don't care I hold the door for both sides you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, I hold the door open I like having open doors right so I, it, that was just it, that was interesting but you know what it it opened my eyes to say okay I get it yeah you're you're being raised differently than I was and. I'm sure that, but then how do you know which woman feels that way? Doesn't what <laughs> that, these poor, these poor guys trying to figure out who wants the door open and who doesn't. Maybe I should just like hold it up with my toe and I kind of see, you know, oh, wait, you know you, I, I can just drop it closed. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming today. Uh, this was such a great podcast and I hope the listeners learned a little bit of something. Um, where can you be found? I can be found all around. So uh, my website, it's uh, meganjohnson.com. And then of course I'm all over social media. So you, you put my name in Google and you'll see my spiky haired little face come up uh, all over the place. And your talks, some of your talks are on YouTube, right? Yes. Yes. Some are on YouTube. Um, and I have, again, I'm all, I have a YouTube channel. I'm on YouTube. When I always say, when you have trouble sleeping, you can just pull out one of those little videos. Well, you're very funny and you have very good, you have de the delivery of a stand-up comedian. <laughs> I, I, oh, thank you. Yeah, I no. appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I would have loved to have been a comedian, but I really didn't want to work nights. Uh -huh. like, Ooh, <laughs> that's that. I'm not. I'm, I'm a day person. <laughs> oh, you're doing a great thing, and I'm so happy that you came on the show. Hey, thank you so much. This has been a ton of fun. Okay, great. And thank you all of you for listening. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to give yourself permission and know that you are not alone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Reviews are always appreciated. And you can reach me by email at it's not a crisis at Gmail, Instagram, it's not a crisis podcast, and please join our Facebook group as well. Until next time, just remember, it's not a crisis. <laughs>